Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. In the 2023 Super Bowl, an estimated $16 billion was spent on legalized gambling, including mobile apps, live casinos, and other technologies, with 21 states now allowing gambling on sports. This activity is just in its infancy in the U.S. and sure to grow much larger. The next big sporting event, the NCAA's March Madness Tournament, promises to add the amount of money changing hands between sports books and fans to greater numbers, leading to positive tax revenues directed to state treasuries. Each state is different though, and with some taxing video terminals at a much higher rate than mobile apps, which seems stunning since mobile apps seem to be everywhere in the betting space. In West Virginia, the legislature decided to tax mobile betting at a much lower rate than in-person casino betting, leaving a massive gap between them and other states like New York. This revenue gap is likely to have a significant impact on funding for education, including higher education in the near future, once the COVID relief funds from Congress expire. My guest today has studied the revenues and tax implications for higher education for all forms of gambling for most of his academic career. Brad Humphreys is a professor of economics at West Virginia University. His research on the economics and financing of professional sports and the economics of gambling has been published in academic journals in both economics and policy analysts. He has twice testified before the United States Congress on the economic impact of professional sports teams and facilities. He has also testified before the Massachusetts legislature and the Washington DC City Council on the financing of sport facilities. Brad joins me for this conversation that crystallizes the challenges gambling, gaming, media, and technology bring to college athletics and higher education. This is an important topic for senior campus leaders to get their arms around. Hello, Brad. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you could join me today. Karen, thanks so much for inviting me to to be on this podcast. I'm really uh interested to talk to you about about sports betting. Yeah, sports betting, man, if we don't see a commercial every five minutes, it feels like uh, we've missed something. And especially with this upcoming weekend with the Super Bowl, I think we're going to get just uh, slammed with sports betting commercials. So um, you have done written extensively published in journals about where sports betting revenues are going. And I would like you to briefly talk about your article from a couple of years ago, because you're based out of West Virginia, and what the mobile sports betting scene did to the video terminals and the in, in on-site gambling in terms of revenues in West Virginia. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, so first, the in terms of state government revenues, um, the, the main budgetary impact on that sports betting or gambling in in general has is that states levy taxes on uh on typically well sometimes they levy taxes on the handle that's the total amount bet and sometimes they levy taxes on the winnings and it and different forms of gambling get taxed at different rates so it's not any direct revenue scheme uh, stream it's 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 the tax revenues in terms of just the magnitude of gambling uh, tax revenues that states earn, actually sports betting is not the biggest type of uh, biggest source of revenues. Lotteries are much more popular than right. sports betting because you can do that anywhere. 
And uh, but still, it's it's not an insubstantial amount of, of revenues that get that get raised. So I got interested. Well, I've done a lot of research on just sports betting over the last 20 years. It's been a, 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 a research area of mine since I was at the University of Alberta, really, uh, starting more than 15 years ago, where I had an endowed chair that was to research the economics of gambling. So, you know, sports betting used to be not very big because it was illegal in the United States and everywhere except Nevada. And in just what I still think is a shocking Supreme Court decision, uh, the Supreme Court overturned the existing law, which prohibited sports betting in the United States everywhere except in Nevada, and basically threw everything wide open and said states have the ability to do what they want in terms of legalization of sports betting. A number of states almost immediately legalized sports betting. And now we're up to the point where 30 states and the District of Columbia have legalized sports betting. And so there are many, many states that are that are raising revenues off of sports betting. Um, so I got interested in this because West Virginia um, had has and had before uh, the Supreme Court decision casinos, which generated quite a bit of tax revenues and uh, horse racing, which is not nearly as popular as it was 20 years ago. And so the revenues are not that big there. And of course, lottery, which uh, generates a substantial amount of tax revenues. Now, they legalized sports betting. Well, let me back up one step. I think that the everybody thought that the legalization of sports betting would primarily affect uh, casinos who would open sports books. Because that's the and, Vegas. And you mean a place to go to, to bet. You're talking about the yeah. physical place, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So in, in a, in a casino, the sports book is the, is the name for the actual place that, you know, that betters will go in and bet on games. They're really entertaining. They typically have lots of televisions in them with the games on that are being bet on. And uh, it's a, it's a popular um, part of a casino that has one. So those only existed in, in Nevada until the the Supreme Court decision. And I think everybody thought, okay, well, now there's going to be a bunch of sports books opened up in casinos and, and so what. And I don't think anybody really anticipated that the mobile app betting would take off like it has. And I think that's the really unexpected and economically interesting part of this is that really sports book live betting is is a very small fraction of the sports betting that takes place and almost all of it is on these apps mm -hmm. okay so, right, let's just talk about the revenues just to give our audience a sense of how much the revenue stream has shifted and yet how states probably didn't react well to or anticipate this uh, uh fanaticism with the app on your phone so let's talk about west virginia's revenues a little bit yeah so <laughs> actually i uh I was I was most interested in in actually the sports book the physical sports book part of the of the revenues um, and just to see because there is a small literature on on how betters might substitute between different forms of gambling because they're actually really different experiences pulling a lever on a slot machine is really different from you know uh, sitting down at the blackjack table and and playing blackjack but 
this really interesting thing happened in West Virginia where they they legalized betting on an app as well as as sports books and the state got into a dispute with the person the the company they'd contracted with to provide the app based betting and they started that and let it go and then they shut it down because of this dispute and then they started it up again hmm. now to an economist like me that's we can't run experiments but that's as close to a natural experiment hmm. as you're as you're going to get and i just could not resist the idea of going and getting the data on on revenues from uh, different forms of gambling to see how that affected things. And I got a really interesting result out of that because we want to know, of course, policymakers would love to know how much is this app betting cut into what I would, what we would uh, make in revenues from taxing casinos uh, uh, winnings, right? Right, right. And what I found was there was there was clear evidence of substitution when that uh, sports betting app got shut down. Revenues at uh, at casinos went up, and when it got turned back on, they went down. So there's clear evidence that that um there is important substitution going on. Of course there is, right? Because yes, it's cheaper yeah. to bet on your phone than it is to get in your car and drive to the nearest. Uh, casino where there's a sports book and bet. And I, I think this has tremendously important implications for state tax revenues because most of the states, I think, didn't anticipate that the the in-app betting would be so big and they didn't tax that as at rates as high as they tax uh, casino revenues. It, so, it's, it's stunning to me that they wouldn't anticipate that because everybody is literally addicted to their phone. So why wouldn't it work, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I tell you what, I and this this shocked me as well. I didn't realize that the all the fantasy sports apps would just jump into this sports betting market and and offer that, right? Because that's really where, you know, fantasy football is is incredibly popular. Yeah. And those are all app-based um DraftKings and you know those and those are now the big players in the in the mobile sports betting and they just saw it as an extension of their product that oh well it's not now it's not just changing around your fantasy football roster but now you can also get a bet down and and bets down on say what the guys on your roster might do in a particular game and that's just like that's extremely popular with uh with with these fans and i don't think anybody saw that coming and i, I think that's but the, but the money pouring into this space now has has exacerbated both of your problems number one we're they're, we're trying to get the market established so they're, they're competing for for advertisers and revenues and users but then also states have got to be sitting there going wait a minute we need to rewrite the laws on this. So have you seen a trend towards states like West Virginia saying, ah, can we have a do-over on this revenue business? I have I have not seen that yet. Hmm. And uh, and I suspect that uh, one of the reasons that we haven't seen that yet is that the economy has been pretty good. Hmm. And I don't think, you know, the, the pandemic recession was so short and uh, had so little sort of lasting economic impact that state budgets and plus all that federal money came into state budgets and state states haven't been in a bad budget situation in some time now. Mm 
probably not since the Great Recession. And when they're not going to, state legislatures are not going to revisit these sort of items when when the the tax coffers are flush. But as soon as we get a downturn, I think absolutely you're going to see a lot of states go back and say, "Hey, this we we need to tax this the winnings on this mobile app betting a lot more than we currently are." And, and this is really relevant because literally January 1st, Ohio uh, went online with sports betting. Uh, Massachusetts is about to go online shortly. I think I read that the state of New York has assessed a 53% tax. Is it on the company or on the earnings of the of the individual users? It's uh, it's on the companies. They, these oh. these taxes are are in uh, are. Uh, Always, because it's too hard to collect them off the users yeah, because yeah. it's not like a sales tax where, right. uh, you know, there's a whole system set up that you can collect those taxes at the point of sale. Uh, so that it's it's uniformly taxed on the gambling operators and, and not on the individual bettors. So we see these incredible numbers, <clears throat> 16 billion will be bet at the Super Bowl and, you know, all these kinds of things that are that, that come out, which... When the average reader sees that, that there's no context, and they think, well, everybody's flush with cash, this this uh, tax differential really can impact state budgets and, and the support for higher education in the state. Um, do you have any thoughts about where this might leave, let's say, a school like West Virginia University within its conference compared to other states that are a lot more flush? Yeah. Well, so first... I also do some research on the economics of higher education, but and I think the listeners of this podcast will be well aware of the fact that state governments do not support public higher education now like they used to 20 years ago. Yeah. I think that my own uh, university, West Virginia University's uh, state appropriation is down to about 15% of our revenues in any year. Whereas if you roll back to the 80s, it was probably something like 80%. 75%. So, I mean, that does, on, on the one hand, it makes it much harder to operate a public institution of higher education. Oh, uh, but on the other hand, it does tend to insulate universe, public universities and colleges from state budgetary woes because they're just not getting, you know, if the, if the state appropriation, if, if a university was getting 80% of their operating revenues from the state and they cut that by 10%, that's a big deal. If they're getting 15% of their revenues from the state and they cut that by 10%, it's a lot easier to absorb. So the, the finances there, I think, just, just uh, make this less of an issue probably for, for colleges and universities. But I'll tell you what where this does impact higher education uh, is that this also is is not not really uh, important right now, but eventually this is going to affect the whole name, image, and likeness ability of of college athletes to earn revenues. Because I, I I don't there's no systematic data on this, but it would not surprise me that a lot of these sports books would be interested in in uh, in endorsements from college athletes, and yes. you know. There, there's a huge amount of money. They're very visible. That's very tightly linked to the service that these uh, online betting operations are offering. And there's, you know, there's no, the NIL environment is just a wild, wild west. The NCAA declined to regulate it in any way whatsoever. Right. And I just think that's coming. There's, you're going to see, you know, uh, FanDuel 
signing endorsement deals with the star quarterback on college football teams and and throw a lot of money at him. And that's going to who that's going to be a mess. So let's dive deeper into that for a second here, because, you know, the star quarterback is also sometimes known as the big man on campus. So that's a he's an influencer, if you will, with his peer group. And one of the big concerns seems to be that with the gambling on college sports, with college sports having access to NIL money via gambling companies or betting companies, uh, the 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 uh, the West Virginia campus population, the Penn State campus population might be more amenable to getting involved in gambling if they aren't already when they arrive. Are we doing the right thing by the rest of our student body if we're not not putting some sort of guardrails on this? <laughs> oh, that is such a good question, Karen. That is such a good question and such an important question. You know, there's already been a couple of instances where uh, I believe one of them was in Michigan State, where uh, online gambling operations had signed deals with the university to be the, you know, the official sports betting platform of Michigan State. I, it was it was either Michigan State or Wisconsin. I can't remember. There's but there's been a couple, and I think universities are treading into very dangerous waters there when because you know problem gambling is an issue. It's not a huge issue. It's you know the evidence suggests that that about one or one and a half percent of people who uh, who gamble will actually get themselves into financial problems. But people do, and students are going to be a population that are going to be especially vulnerable uh, to because young adults have poor impulse control, yeah. and they're also uh, living on a shoestring budget. And it's not there's no research I know right now about problem gambling rates among college students. But those papers are going to be written, and I guarantee it, it's going to be higher rates than we would find in the general population. So, I mean, yeah, universities have have a lot of budgetary pressures on them right now, and these uh, online sports books are flush with money, and it's pretty tempting. I can see if they're throwing a lot of uh, of money at a university to to sign these sort of deals, but. I think the you know the overall societal implications of that are are unclear and something that needs to be thought about very carefully. So, uh, if I'm a president or a trustee of a university whose athletic department says, "Look, I know you want us to be self-sustaining, or at least something close to being self-sustaining, taking less revenue from the university," this is where the money is, and they'll say the same thing about the media contracts. And they'll, the media contracts these days oftentimes are written in about gathering data and selling their advertising to who they choose as advertisers, not what you would choose. How, what recommendations would you have for somebody who's a president or a trustee to try to navigate some of these waters? There are, there are clearly some uh, privacy issues associated with this. Um, yeah. You know, but the money, the money is what makes the calculus here difficult. The the, the obvious um, substantial profits that online uh, bookmakers are earning and their obvious interest in uh, connecting with universities in terms of branding and marketing. Uh, I, yeah, I think, well, so a lot of the, like a lot of us there, I think there's two different issues here or two different uh, um potential problems. One, if we're talking about, you know, what kind of information is generated that, that bookmakers are interested in, 
Well, you know, a lot of the betting is on is on game outcomes or against point spreads and stuff like that. That's public information. There's no privacy issues there. But when you get to the point where there is a lot of so there's one form of online betting is called proposition betting. Now, that's when you would just bet on is this team going to run or pass on the next down and on on mobile app betting, you could make those sorts of bets right in in that and. You know, when you're talking about, well, I'm going to, you know, I want to get a bet down on this is my favorite player on on the team I follow. And to do X, Y, or Z, there's there's there, there's privacy issues there, right? Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, you know, trustees or presidents need to be cognizant of the fact that uh, there are so many complicated forms of sports betting out there now in this new environment, which we have no experience in. Right. And some of them don't involve privacy issues, and some of them do. And I think they need to recognize that that distinction. One of the things that concerns me, because I, I have a bit of a tech geek side to me, but is the prolif- proliferation of 5G, uh, wanting to move into stadiums and arenas and that type of thing, so that the uh, you know the Wi-Fi receptions are better, so that fans can tweet and post and all that type of thing about what they're doing. That seems innocuous, but really the reason 5G wants to be in these arenas is because they want to enhance the gambling opportunities. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. no one wants the the lag time on, you know, okay, I think uh, this quarterback's going to pass, and all of a sudden my bet didn't go in because the lag was in the arena. Actually, this is what's happening at Syracuse because they just put a huge uh, wireless uh, builder 5G as their naming rights for their carrier dome. So it's now the JMA, JMA dome. So I'm paying attention to that. So you mentioned about data. So we've got the tech, the tech side pushing on this space. We've got the data side because people want to buy the data of the athletes. We've got all kinds of data with tracking um, uh, biometric data, well, uh, you know, and knowing how do we get access to that data so we can have inside information on how much sleep somebody got last night. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so all of this to me feeds the gambling wheel and it's very lucrative. Oh, I, you don't, would, even, I don't even know what my question is. I'm just, I'm just oh, stating it. <laughs> there, I, I agree with you. So there it's, it's pretty clear that, um, especially college football programs, they are biometrically tracking their athletes, not just on the field, but during their practices and during their recovery uh, when they're, when they're training. And I think what your point is, you're raising here is that information might be very valuable to a sports book. Yep. Extremely valuable. And they probably, because that would allow them to have inside information about, all right, who was really not, working very hard in practice this week. Was it the star running back? Well, I'd like to know that because that's going to help me to take advantage of some gamblers who who might not have that information. And they be that's the data are there, the money is there. Somebody eventually is going to connect those two and realize that and in a in a budgetary situation where, you know, attendance at college football has been dropping for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that means lower, smaller revenues for the athletic department. And they're going to be, you know, budgetary pressures are there and and university presidents are, I'm sure, going to ADs and saying, you know, we can't give you the the, uh, student fees that we once 
did, you're going to have to find other revenue sources. And that AD is going to go, well, we've got all this. I bet that, you know, DraftKings or whatever your online bookmaker is would love to know, would love to have this information just so they don't give it to the opposing team that we're playing next week. We can sell it to them. Right. Right. And that really raises some, especially when you, in light of the fact that, you know, uh, college athletes don't have a lot of, uh, don't have a lot of rights, you know, they're, uh, they're, they've got to, if they want to maintain their scholarship, they've got to, I'm sure, agree to this biometric tracking that's going to go on. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's huge. A- it, it's absolutely huge. And in fact, Europe is so far ahead of us on this because they're, they've actually, each country is negotiated with their professional athletes about what they're allowed to keep private versus this. This feels like college athletes are completely vulnerable to, you know, being either forced to wear the equipment or knowing to have to opt out uh, versus the choice of opting in for their data being collected. I even when I talk to strength coaches and nutrition folks and things like that, I ask them, you know, the software that you're using, does it collect data? And sometimes they have no idea. It was just given to them, you know, so they don't know what data is being collected, how it's being used, that type of thing. So I think the 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 hope I had for the the presidents, trustees, senior campus leaders who are listening to this who are like, holy cow, this is a world I didn't, didn't even understand before. What cautions would you or questions would you encourage them to ask if their AD or somebody else comes to them and says, okay, we've got this idea, we've got a $10 million deal with a gambling company. What what things would you say? Okay, just slow down. Let's consider these <laughs> options. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I would say slam on the brakes, probably, if if you're approached with with something like that. Uh that those sort of that strikes me as something that that is ultimately gonna get hashed out in the courts. I there's money involved. There's privacy issue and issues involved. Uh, somebody's gonna if we gotta wait until there's a deal actually cut between between a, a online gambling or um, company and and a college. But that's gonna yeah. I I would I would say wait until <laughs> let somebody else be the <laughs> let somebody else be the uh, yeah. Uh, the guinea pig to see how this is going to turn out. There's another thing that I wanted to mention to you that I think would be of interest to, uh, to trustees or um, presidents or or administrators. Another now that in the new sports betting environment, we've got, we are now seeing NFL stadiums, open up sports books or places that you can bet right in the facility. Right. right, Now this is not controversial. It's, it's been going on in Europe for decades. Right. Every professional football stadium in, in the UK, for example, has bookmakers operating inside of it where you can go and get a bed back. Right. Right. But the pressure is going to, that's a revenue stream. And I can see clearly that the pressure is going to be, well, you know, the, the Detroit lions open, opened up a a sports book in their stadium. uh, Why can't we have one, you know, in our football state, our college football stadium. I think that day is coming. And again, is that really something that students, we want to encourage students to, uh, to have access to, to be able to, you know, you're up at halftime on your big rival, run down to the book and get a bet down on what the final score of the game is or something like that. I don't, 
I don't know. Uh, there's, but they're good questions to ask, right? It's good to kind of think through the uh, the unintended consequences of this. As you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, well, many college teams play in professional stadiums. So what what kind of uh, agreement are you striking with that? Is it well, the day we play, the sports book area will be closed. Well, maybe the fans won't be so happy with that. You know, it's just <laughs> we're, in this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we're in this cycle of chasing after money, and and how much choice do we really want to take when there's money on the table? I agree, and I, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the 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 Pit Panthers play in. Right. Uh, in uh, what used to be Heinz Field, I can't keep up with naming rights deals these days. It's called it's called something else, uh, but they play their games there. There are a number of college teams that play in pro stadiums, and if every pro, it's not there's always an arms race going on in pro stadium yes. uh, um, facilities, right. right? As soon right. as one one of these teams opens up a sports book in the stadium, everybody else, where in states where sports betting is legal, are going to be clamoring to have that. That's right. And that's going to spill right over to college. There, it won't be long, I would predict, because there the growth potential in this market is amazing for sports betting. It really is, and 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 I don't think you know unless you're closely following the finances and economics of this, I don't think people truly understand how much money is pouring into sports right now because of all these different uh, possibilities: the media rights, the 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 data, the gambling, the. The, the technology behind creating multiple ways to view a game. All of these things are playing a huge role in driving up the media rights values. Absolutely. Which is attractive to, to everybody who's trying to play, uh, keep up with the Joneses, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, and so moving forward, I think it, the broadcast rights money that's coming into college sports is, is, is still going up. The most recent contracts that have been signed are, are bigger, but I don't see that as sustainable moving forward because ESPN loses sub subscribers every month. Right. 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 Cord cutting right. is real. And right. It, it, right. ESPN's model is is we get on basic cable everywhere in the in the country, and we get that uh, subscriber fee no matter if people ever turn on ESPN or not. But Cord cutting's happening. That means those broadcast rights for college sports are going to be going down. Yep. And that's just going to force additional pressure on the athletic departments to find other ways to monetize what they've got and streaming, you know, and the the sort of access that that um, mobile devices provide. It's going to be in the stadium. Maybe, you know, maybe you have a premium service where people can get streamed video of the sideline or the huddle or who knows what yeah. um, or you know just different camera views on their mobile device that you uh to to experience the game or i don't know what probably network externalities where uh, fans would be able to interact in ways at the game on their device and they'll monetize that and it's going to put it yeah there's a lot of the environment it's for so so many years karen it the the broadcast rights or the media rights market for college sports was simple and unchanged, right? You probably had a local radio contract. You had, uh, you know, back before the Supreme Court decision in 1984, there were two college football games on every Saturday afternoon, right. and uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was just simple. And I think. Nobody knows how to navigate the, what's going to be the new streaming future yeah. of monetizing uh, 
sports in college, but it's going to change. And I think that, you know, if you're a trustee, if you're a president, buckle up and just be prepared for who knows what kind of disruption. We can't predict that, right? This sort of technological disruption, who knows what it is, but it's almost certainly coming. It surely is. And and um, I, I I would encourage uh, trustees and presidents to read your economic uh, journal articles. I'm going to put a link to the one that you sent me uh, there as well. And um, it, there's there are people who are tracking this, and you're certainly one of them. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, because I think this is an area that's a complete unknown for senior campus leaders. So the more we can talk about it, the more we can all try to figure out how we wanna navigate it. So Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Karen, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed our chat. It's It's me, been a lot of fun. Me too, me too.